thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. When we started this series, we had some intention in mind. The greatest of time, we felt that people were so overcome by the worst worries and cares of this world that we're kind of been beat down and battered down and hear so much negative. Really, is there anything good happening? Will there be anything good happening in the future? So we sat down, and Jason and I, and we said, listen, we believe that this is the greatest of times. The opening words in the Tale of Two Cities written by Charles Dickens is, the worst of times and the best of times. That, that's, that was that period. There was the worst of times, it was the best of times. And, and pretty well the picture today but we want to focus our thoughts on the best of times, the greatest of times. So two weeks ago, we dealt with the greatest of times for you personally. Jason did a great job last week, the greatest of times for the church of Jesus Christ. Today, we want to focus on the greatest of times for world impact, missions, world impact, the rest of the world. Next week, we're going to focus in the greatest of times for Israel and the Jewish people as God brings them back to the land to sprinkle them with cold water and open up their hearts. So that's what we're going to do. Now, in order to do this, I, I've asked a, a young man from Youth with the Mission, which is a, a mission based right over here on our campus, and they are they're out in the front lines. I don't know if you know this, but they have thousands of young men, and not just young men and women, but thousands that have um, gone through their program and are out there ministering the good news of Jesus Christ. Places they have gone to that you've never heard of. Matter of fact, you, you don't, you don't, you've never heard their names. And for sure, you can't even pronounce some of them. But they're out there. That's the, the bigger world. So by stretching us, enlarging our hearts, I want us to see what is out there. So I ask Eric Barlow to come. Eric is a father, 10 years. He's been married. He has four children. He recently returned from northern Iraq. Now, a lot of times when you think of someone returning, it might be they put him on the plane, he went over there, and then he came back to his family. No, he took his whole family, four children, and his wife, and he spent time in Iraq. He spent time in a lot of other countries. He recently came from a, a great gathering of 3,000-plus YWAMers from all over the world that came to Kansas City, and they got an update of what's happening in our world from these people who came. So would you... Welcome, Eric, as he comes and shares with us, all right? Come, Eric. Thanks, man. Thanks again. Thank you so much for that warm greeting. It is uh, so wonderful to be here with you. As Pastor George said, my name is Eric, and me and my wife serve over at YWAM Denver. We've been on staff a little over six years. And we just love being a part of discipleship and mentoring young uh, men and women who have a passion for Jesus, but also willingness to go into the nations, be a part of the Great Commission. And so it's so fun for us because uh, our, our heart calling is as mission mobilizers. Mission mobilizers in not only training and teaching, but also being able to go as well. And so we, as a family, uh, travel quite a bit. So it's not just me going and leaving all my, my wife and our four boys at home, but uh, we go together. Um, my oldest, Malachi, is about to turn seven in October. He's already been to nine countries. 
Uh, and so we, uh, we love being in the nations because we feel like we get that unique piece of Jesus' heart that we might miss sometimes here. And, um, and so that's why I, I'm, I'm very excited just to share a few minutes with you about why this is the greatest time for missions and for world impact today. Because not only uh, am I going to share some statistics and some, some information for you, but because of our experiences, we have, we have tasted and seen that Jesus is good. Not only here in Arvada in the States, but all over the world as well. And so I'm going to share with you um, six different points as we uh, are moving along and really seeking to understand why we are in the best time for missions. And... Um, so here are the, the six points I'm going to go over just briefly with you. And uh, so remarkable growth, the great shift, Bible engagement, receivers to senders, wind in the house of Islam, and Jewish openness. So as we look at the first one, remarkable growth, talking about evangelical Christianity. And if for me, there's, there's all this kind of uh, media, propaganda, et cetera, of, of the, the downfall of, of Christianity and evangelicalism and just how poor things are going but the reality is, if you look worldwide, if you kind of open up your eyes and your gaze and perspective a little bit, um, evangelical Christianity is, is growing faster than Islam, two times faster than Buddhism and, and Hinduism. And just a little case study, if you look at the country of China, so we are, uh, as a family, we were in China a little over a year and a half ago, and China, in 1949, some estimate there would be about one million believers. And today, a little over 50, 60 years later, there's some estimate over 100 million believers. 100 million people proclaiming and confessing their faith in Jesus. Some estimate there's 10 to 15,000 new believers a day. Every day. It's incredible. And we were over there, like I said, uh, a little bit ago, and we just saw some of those things firsthand. Of course, we spent some time on this little dinky wall but uh, also we, we did quite a bit in universities, and we were on the Tibetan Plateau as well. And even in, in a harsh kind of environment and governmental restrictions, uh, the, the hearts of the people there were just crying out for something more. And um, it was just so fun to be a part of seeing what Jesus is doing um, in the incredible nation of China. But it's not only China as well. So there's this, uh, this term we use in missions called the 1040 window. Uh, if you look up here, it's uh, 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north. Some of the most difficult to reach um, areas that are, are the poorest, but also the areas that just have never heard of Christ before. And uh, as you look at this map, the darker of the shaded countries, the higher percentage of change in evangelical population just in the past 20, 25 years. So even in some of these very, very difficult areas, uh, remote areas of the world, extremely poor areas, um, evangelical Christianity is just booming, and it is just a thrill that we as a church body get to be a part of that. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun to see um, some of the, the, the things that are causing some of this thing, some of this growth. And uh, so we talk about the great shift within the body of Christ and within the missional world, and we see the reality of this verse of Jesus' heart, his passion, his desire. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. We see that heartbeat of Jesus' desire that heaven is a multicultural place. It's not just a place with a bunch of white faces from America, right? 
And, um, and so we are in the greatest time for missions and world impact because we're seeing the reality of Jesus' dream come true. If you look um, back in 1800, if you look at the worldwide stats of evangelicals, 99% of them were from North America and Europe, so from Western nations. And now today, 2016, it's only about a quarter. Now that's not to state the, the downward spiral of evangelicalism in the West, but the incredible increase in the rest of the world. In Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, all over, Jesus has taken the heart of his people and just letting it loose. And it's incredible. So if you died and went to heaven right now, three out of four evangelical Christians, people who profess Christ as their Savior, would be not from the West. It's an incredible thing. It's so incredible. And um, one of the things that is pushing this great shift forward is a new wave of Bible engagement. New wave of Bible engagement. If you research some of the reformations and revivals across church history, almost all of them have this kind of fresh wave of, of new Bible engagement that kind of ushers in the Holy Spirit, bringing in that, in that revival. In the year 2000, Wycliffe, which is one of the main organizations that translates the Bible into languages that don't have it, along with other big kind of organizations in that way, uh, met in Amsterdam in, uh, in 2000, like I said, and we're just kind of discussing and processing where are we in trying to translate the last known languages uh, into the Bible, and, um, or the Bible into the last known languages. Uh, and they said kind of with some, some heavy hearts, well, it might take another 150 years. So they got before the Lord on their knees, and they cried out, Lord, give us fresh inspiration, creativity, help us to work together in unity like never before. They met a year ago in July of 2015. Now with new technologies and uh, incredible unity in the, amongst us, they're saying that we're going to start just in the next couple years translating the Bible into the very last languages on earth. It's incredible. It's incredible. The new wave of Bible engagement across the nations. Another company, it's called an uh, organization, it's called Faith Comes by Hearing. They take the New Testament and they put it in an audio format. You realize that the majority of the world, uh, they're auditory learners. So they're not about writing and reading. They're about listening and hearing. So they take the word in those languages and they put them in solar-powered devices. So you go into a village, might not have any running water or electricity, and you have this solar-powered audio Bible device. And you gather the people in a village and you play and they hear the Bible for the very first time in their own mother tongue. And we're seeing just tremendous, tremendous response and growth and people responding to Jesus like in amazing ways. Uh, also the Jesus film, um, Jesus film, 1,350 languages uh, and it's covering almost 93% of the world's population. And now they have, they've developed these backpacks that you can buy um, that they have these, again, solar-powered projectors that you can go into a village, um, and just with your backpack, you can show the, the Jesus film to people. People have never even seen a movie before <laughs> or heard any of this stuff, and they see Jesus for the very first time, and um, the things that he's doing is just, is just simply amazing. So after the Bible engagement, we move into the reality that countries are becoming uh, senders instead of just receivers, so in the past, there were certain countries that always would send all the missionaries and others that always received them. But now it's starting to shift a little bit. 
We're seeing countries like in the Philippines and Brazil and Nigeria, even uh, China and some other places in the Middle East actually starting to become some of the fastest sending missionary countries in the world. So the missionary force is not just made up of Western nations anymore. It's this beautiful multicultural, multilingual movement. And uh, it is just evidence again that we are in the best times for missions and world engagement. That reality of Jesus' heart for Revelation 7-9, again, is coming true. It's so beautiful. And one of the places that we see this tremendously happening is in the Muslim world, in the faith of, of Islam. And so uh, there's a book, it's called Wind in the House of Islam. And this guy was studying movements of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. So a movement being either uh, over 1,000 people coming to faith in Jesus or over 100 churches being planted. It's a movement. So it's not just a couple people or a family. It's a whole movement. From 600 to 1800, there were none. 1800 to 1982, 1980, 2011. And just the past, whatever, 15 years or so, upwards to 70 different movements of Muslims to Christ. It's an incredible, incredible time that we're in. This map um, right here, all the different pluses or, you know, purple cross things, it's showing where we have documented movements of Muslims to Christ. And I'm sure there's even many, many more that are undocumented just because of the political tensions and things that happen in the governments. But we are in uh, the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history is occurring today. It was fun. Uh, Pastor George mentioned me and my wife and our family, some other, other staff were over in northern Iraq um, just a couple months ago in, in April serving refugees. So there's about 2 million uh, IDPs or internally displaced peoples in northern Iraq because of ISIS. And so we were there, um, medical camps, visiting the UN camps, um, handing out uh, basic supplies, and, uh, and working with some local evangelicals uh, doing our best to share Jesus with people that are just completely broken and hurting. And again, just like the other places that we've been, I just want to share with you the encouragement that Jesus is on the move. And he's on the move not only in our hearts here, but he is on the move all over the place. Another one of those places is um, in the people of the Jewish faith. So there is incredible openness within the Jews. So if you look at this stat, more Jews have embraced, embraced Jesus as Messiah from 1967 to the present than in all the years between basically Christ and 1967. Again, there's an incredible, incredible move of faith among the peoples of the nations. And I hope that uh, that as you have, have heard some of these stats and stories, that your heart is encouraged. It's encouraged that we are part of a great faith. And our God is a, a missional God, and we must be a missional people. Amen? Because heaven is going to be a beautiful, multicultural place. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Eric. I want to look at Psalm 67, if you'll join with me. Psalm 67, as I kind of give you just one point as we wrap up our service, we're going to move into having communion together in Psalm 67, the greatest of times. Hopefully, that alone should help you enlarge your heart and stretch you to understand that God is on the move and God is doing something. So as we go about our duties and responsibilities, 
hopefully, I'm believing the Holy Spirit is just going to keep quickening us. God, thank you for doing what you're doing in all the world. Thank you, Lord, you're touching all peoples of the world. That, that, a reminder of God's Spirit that this is bigger than us, and it's not just about us. It's about God and what's on God's heart. Okay, in Psalm 67, the psalmist writes this way, may God be merciful to us and bless us. That's a great prayer. We pray that a lot. Cause His face to shine upon us. Here's the reason why we're asking God to bless us and to be with us, that's your way, say your way. Not our way, but that your way may be known in all the earth. There's a reason God has blessed us here in the West. The reason God has blessed you is that somehow we can begin to cooperate with and begin to understand what's on God's heart so that we can see that His name may be known on all the earth. Your salvation among all nations let the peoples, I want you to note this word, say peoples, not just people, but peoples. This word peoples means language groups, that all language groups, all people. Do you know there are about 6,500 different languages in our world? And you thought there was only English, maybe Spanish, Latin, a couple of things. 6,500 different languages, and God's promise is that He will reach every one of those language groups. It's an amazing thing that is happening, and that's what Eric was talking about here. Let the peoples praise you, O God. God wants all peoples to praise Him. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then, say then, the earth shall yield her increase. Let me just pause just a moment there. Then when all the peoples when are gathered, when all the peoples begin to praise, then the earth shall yield her increase. I want to fast forward to a time in the future. It's called the thousand-year reign of Christ called the millennial period of time, and that's after Christ returns. He's going to set up His kingdom here on this planet. All peoples are going to praise Him, and you talk about the earth yielding its increase, wait till the millennial period when there's a healing that is going to take place on our earth. We're going to see things that we've never seen before. The way God wanted it to be from the very beginning God will begin to move on the earth. God our God shall bless us, God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him or respect Him. That is what God has in mind for all peoples. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll, we've been singing and talking about this, and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, and peoples and nation. That covers it all, doesn't it? That covers it all. We're going to participate in communion in just a moment. Do you realize that when Jesus inaugurated this, initiated this, was at the last supper that he spent with his disciples just before he died? So his body was broken, which will be the bread represented. His blood was shed for all peoples. For all peoples, all the way down the tunnel of time, God looked and he saw all these language groups. He saw all the needs of these people, and he died for all of them. So even as we take communion, let's be stretched to see all peoples 
of the world. In Revelation, not Revelation, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is a chapter talking about the end times, the coming of Christ. Jesus, in response to a question that was asked, when will these things begin to happen, these end time events, he mentions them in Matthew chapter 24, and then he gets to this verse. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Do you hear what's being said here? Jesus said all these things are going to begin to happen. All peoples need to be reached, and then the end will come. So we don't know exactly when that is going to happen, but I want to point out something here. This word good news is the word gospel. You'll see some translations, and the gospel about the kingdom will be preached, or the good news about the kingdom. Here's where I'm going to stretch you again. I think we've always maybe looked at the good news in a selfish way. Well, the good news is that Jesus died for me and my sin. And as a result, I've been set free. Now, that is the good news. That is part of the gospel. But that is not the ultimate goal and purpose. The good news about the kingdom, say kingdom. So, so it's about salvation, but it's about the kingdom. And in a kingdom, you have a king. So we're talking about the kingdom that is ruled by Jesus. His reign in the kingdom that is being talked about here. So yes, it's about my salvation, but it's more than that. It's about God. It is all about God and not about us. Now by His grace and His mercy, we've been drafted in, we've been called into, and, and we've been brought into by, with a gift of grace that has come to us, and I thank God for my involvement in this, but it's not about me. It's not about just setting me free from my sin and the shame of and carrying this. It's not about my freedom and victory over death and hell, and it's not my victory over the enemy, and now I can walk in the power of Jesus. Those all things are good, but ultimately it's about God. It's about his kingdom. It's that he is worthy. He needs to be honored. He needs to be praised. He needs to be thanked. And I think maybe the stretching ought to stretch us to the point that maybe as we follow God and Christ, that we see his heart for all peoples of the world, and then the end will come. So, let me give you the first point and only point that we have today. You might want to jot it down. God's ultimate goal is his, say it, name. It's all about the name of God. That's his ultimate goal. That his name be known, praised, enjoyed by, say it, all the peoples of the earth. That's what it's about. His ultimate goal, that his name would be made known. So part of our visions, part of our mission as a church, part of our gathering together and, and the words that we, we, we want to hear is not only words that lift us out of our situation, but lift us to a place where we begin to see in a broader scale what God has in mind, that his name will be made known in all the earth in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 17, Solomon is speaking here. He says, Now it was in the heart of my father, who was David, to build a temple for the, say it, 
name of the Lord God of Israel. David was a second king of Israel, and he loved God. He had a passion for the things of God, and he wanted to honor God, and he wanted all peoples to know his name. So he was living in his house one day, and, and he looked at the walls of his house and the roof, and he said to himself, and it's recorded in the Scriptures, he said, why should I live in such a house, and yet there's still not a house for God? They hadn't built the temple. They had the ground. It was on the top of the mountain. The city was here. And I, I've stood just recently in the new discovered house of David. I've actually stood in the ruins of David's house. And when David said those words, he wanted to build God's temple, but he couldn't. And Solomon said that it was in his heart to be a temple. But I want you to get this, a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. From the very beginning, God's purpose in calling Abraham was to proclaim his name. He was called out of a heathen world and culture that was pagan worship. And so they had drifted far from God from the very beginning, and, and God still never gave up. So he wanted to draw people's attention back to him, so he was going to create a people. And that's where he called Abraham and created a people. And then David was a descendant of Abraham. But God's purpose remained true that his name would be known. It was to proclaim his name. He would bless his people, and now it was coming to fruition through David and then through Solomon. In the reign of Solomon, it was the greatest splendor. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple that was built for his name. People from all over the world, kings and queens, would admire the blessing that was on Israel. And don't you think they wondered why? And don't you think when they heard and went there and heard that David's and the Solomon's would say it's because God is on our side and his name was being known in all the earth. That was a beautiful picture where God is headed at the end of all eternity that all peoples will know and worship his name and the God that we serve. And then through Jesus Christ, it was made possible. He came at, through the line of David, Abraham and David, in fulfillment, continued fulfillment of promise that all people would know him. Jesus came and died for all peoples. But here was a shift and a drift. And the drift was because of the church itself, the very church that was raised up and had such dynamics that Jason talked about last week. That very church drifted from this purpose, became very inclusive exclusive, I should say. It became very self-centered, and that carried on down even to our day today. And we have to question ourselves, why do I serve God? Why do I follow God? To feel better about myself? To look better? To identify maybe with a cleaner group of people or whatever your, <laughs> your thoughts might be? Why do we serve God? Why do we follow Him? Why do we seek after Him so that our lives are better? I think that's where the drift happened. We need to get back so that his name will be known in all the earth, that God will be glorified amongst my friends and my family and my community and wherever God would lead me. That is the ultimate goal. Jesus came, and look at John chapter 12. He said here, he said, but for this purpose, Jesus, I came this hour, Father, glorify what? What Jesus was about to do would ultimately glorify his name. Continue on in John chapter 17. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. I have declared to them your name, 
and I will declare it. That's what Jesus was all about, letting the world know about the name of God. Psalm 72, verse 17. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. These psalmists had some, they, their hearts were enlarged to see this purpose. And let me give you our concluding verse found in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, he said, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this ultimate aim, this ultimate purpose of God is that he be praised. He's very jealous for his name. Did you know that? He's jealous for his name. And I think the bottom line reason is, is that he's seen how other gods that have small g's have destroyed mankind, have robbed from mankind, have brought a hopelessness to mankind. But God wants to bring hope back into our hearts. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.